We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview, where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes. And all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the ratings and reviews. Thanks for the tweets, the retweets. Well, thanks for everything. Now, on to my guest for today, Jason Cohen, founder and chief innovation officer of WP Engine, the sixth largest public serving website platform. Jason is no stranger to startups. He's been launching businesses for two decades and previously founded SmartBear, a company that makes professional grade peer code review tools that was bought by Automated QA. Jason's businesses have started out as ideas that he then explored to see if they had potential. With WP Engine, he explains, he was able to use a more thoughtful process, a process he's developed and refined to grow WP Engine into a successful mid-sized company with over 1,500 employees. Jason explains how asking the right types of questions are critical in the idea validation process, noting that just identifying a problem is not enough to start a business. He first writes down his hypothesis and then formulates open-ended questions of, for potential customers, looking for commonalities among the answers. With WP Engine, the answers have been and continue to be overwhelmingly the same, which helps considerably in guiding the business. Once you start to really identify and understand your market, you can now not only understand how to better build a product, but also how to market effectively as you build those other products. Jason also explains the three horizon model and how it applies to his mission to grow and innovate his company as it grows even bigger. Now, let's get better together. Jason Cohen, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I am so absolutely thrilled because I think we've known each other or known of each other for almost two decades, which is a long time in tech, or maybe even it's like a couple of I don't even know, but uh, yeah. I first got in, got involved with something you were working on called Answers on Startups, which was Dimesh Shaw over at HubSpot, which now he's like everywhere on, you know, the hustle and my first million and all this sort of stuff. So kind of cool to sort of see that. But you are the founder of WP Engine, which I am a customer of. I've been a customer of for a long time. I'm just trying to remember how long, but it's been a long time. And even the the place I work now, Decision Council, use WP Engine for all of our WordPress sites. But um, yeah, really cool. But before we talk all about that and the history and reminisce about the good old days, mm. <laughs> like I always like to say, why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today? Sure. Um, so I've been doing startups for over two decades, which is a sort of a frightening thing to say. Um, so I guess I got started because it was just, um, it was just a compulsion to have projects and 
then put them on the internet, which was still a pretty new phenomenon then, which was interesting because on the one hand, there weren't very many people on the internet. On the other hand, if anyone was on it, that was kind of interesting already. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think it's always hard to get attention. Um, it just changes what's hard. Like now the good news is there's 5 billion people online. The bad news is they're all online and you're competing with all of them for attention. So, you know, it's always hard, but um, anyway, so uh, I would say several of the things that I did started with um, just wanting to try something, a new technology or a weird idea that wasn't really a company, just an idea, but by doing it and putting it out there, meaning online, et cetera, um, you know, some of them, no, a lot of them, no one cared, but sometimes people would care. And then that sort of grew into something with the latest startup WP engine. Of course I say startup it's 12 years old now, so I'm not sure startup is the right word, but that got started in a much more um, intentional uh, experimental way where, which, which I'm happy to describe how I uh, threw out some ideas that seem good, but maybe weren't and how I, decided that WP Engine was a good idea and what about it was good. Um, but that was a much more intentional, uh, thoughtful process to come up with that. But I, I'm not sure what the conclusion is, because I guess the conclusion is you can be thoughtful and and intentional, or you cannot, <laughs> and it can still work out, <laughs> or not. So I'm yeah, not sure what to do with that, but that's that's what happened. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I think I had been a customer since back when you first started. I, if I remember yeah. correctly, um, yeah, because you went through a couple of branding changes, and I remember the original one looked like a garage and stuff like that, and then they <laughs> yep. moved. You know, I moved it, but well, yeah, I would love, let's let's dig into that a little bit because I think the thing that was really fascinating about one of the reasons I wanted to be a customer was because it was such a pain to set up a WordPress site because there's so many things you had to work. You had to be really kind of actually technical. Um, and for the first time, WP Engine was sort of going down the path where you could actually manage it. You had to be still be technical, but you could manage it in a way that was modern, like a developer would manage like GitHub or something. And I always thought it was just amazing that, yeah, someone thoughtfully went through and figured out, yeah, this is how we have to do this because if this, this is, doesn't scale any other way. So, yeah, what was the intent behind it? Well, um, it started with an, a problem I had because I had a blog about startups, which you know, and uh, I would get on the front page of link sharing sites like Hacker News. And uh, when that would happen, a lot of times the blog would go down because of all the traffic. Of course, that's the worst possible time. In fact, in Google Analytics, um, something like 90 plus percent of my total traffic would come from some of these events because they're so big. So talk about that very worst time to go down, right? So that seems like pain. So I would, I would call up other bloggers and say, hey, how do you keep WordPress up? Um, I don't care if it costs, let's say, 50 or 100 bucks a month. It can't cost like a thousand, but I can pay more than five or 10 bucks a month for this. I care enough about it for that. So for that kind of money, is there anything you know that will keep it up? And the answer was always, uh, well, I don't know, but if you find it, tell me because I need that too. Now, I don't think that's validation either, but it is an, it is a spark. So I always think like if you have the problem yourself, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a company. In fact, usually it isn't because there's a whole lot of good ideas and pain points you can find that just isn't a company because a company needs all kinds of other things. Like there's enough people who agree that there is even is a problem and you can find them like they search for stuff or they go somewhere so you can get to them and you can get to them reasonably cheaply. Um, which is relative to the price point, but that's another thing and that they'll pay you enough for it <laughs> that it's, that's viable. And also you can make it. And also the total market's big enough for whatever your goals are, which may be small or maybe big, but whatever it is, it has to exist. And the competition isn't too bad. It just goes on and on with like the things that, that needs to be besides a, a pain point or an observation for it to be also a business. Um, and so so, okay. So, so, but, but still finding a pain point like that is a good spark or a good initial idea of like, hmm, well, maybe this is something and what do I do to figure out if it really is something right. So what I did is a technique, which I later repeated at WP engine for different products and ideas for product lines. So it's, it's a repeatable thing, but I also um, did it at the beginning. And um, the, the short version is you first figure out what, you think is true of the world, and then you go validate it in a specific way um, to try to figure out um, it, it, is there a is there a stable view of the world or is it unstable? 
so I can describe all that, like what, what to do and, and, and so on. Cause it's, it's easy to say like validate I mean, what the hell does that mean? You know, just asking if they'd buy it because I don't know, it probably doesn't work. Huh. Um, but, uh, but the fact that sometimes it, it co- coalesces and sometimes it doesn't is interesting. So, for example, I had a different idea for this marketing data tool, and it had some neat points to it. In fact, when I would describe it, the first thing people would say is, oh, that's a really good idea. You know what you should do with that? And then they would say something. And everyone I talked to, the, the thing that they would tell me to do was different and very different. Like one would say, it should be free and you give it away and you could, it's freemium and then um, eventually you charge as when there's tra- enough traffic for it or something. And then someone else would say, Oh, you know, who would, who really needs this is the big sites. Little sites don't care about this, but big sites, they'd be willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars a month to have this kind of analytics and whatever. And another person would say, you need to sell through agencies that do this on behalf of customers. Cause a the customer, they're not sophisticated enough to even understand what you're saying. You have to go to an agency that does understand and will sell it for you. Okay. So everywhere I went, there was different stuff. So it wasn't clear what it was <laughs> other than like an interesting idea. In contrast um, with WP Engine, um, as I would talk to people, it would it just came back to the same topics and, it, and like the same things would happen even with the same words to the point where it started being boring. It was like, yeah, I know what they're going to say, X, Y, Z. And uh, it was like, well, that's good. Like when it's, when it's boring because everyone's saying kind of the same thing, that's hitting on some kind of truth that's stable that maybe you could build something around that other people would agree. So this, this idea that it's not just asking, but like looking for these stable points, which maybe means truth. So I could describe also how to ask the right questions and stuff, because um, I think it is vague normally when people say, quote unquote, validate, whatever the hell that means. Um, but uh, But it was that kind of a methodology that led me to reject some ideas and 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 take W pension. And so then, then I just focused on those things and put that on the homepage and made sure the product did those things and so on. And um you know that's that that that's kind of how it got started. And to this day, uh people sign up for WP Engine for the same reasons. Like that's how wow. stable those things are. There's things like wow. I want the site to be fast, I want it to stay yeah. up, I want yeah. there to be good security and good support. And you might say like, well that's obvious. And it's like, well it's not obvious that people would necessarily pay for that necessarily in WordPress that they would pay for that. Um, how much would they pay for that? Um, are you sure those are the four things? It's not three things or other things. Um, Cause you mentioned developer tools, which, which is very important to us now. Yeah. At day one, it was less important. And and yeah. so anyway, p- point being like, it's, it's not necessarily obvious. Um, although a good strategy in retrospect is often obvious. Like you yeah. look at it and you say, Oh, that's so simple and obvious. Like, yes, that's part of what, something good and simple looks like that doesn't mean it was obvious and easy to get there. Right. <laughs> it, it hardly ever is. I think it's yeah. this sort of kind of evolution. I I, I love the fact and, and it was such an astute observation about how you were hearing the same things in the same words. People weren't morphing your idea because the truth or the insight was everyone was having the same problem. Yeah. When you hear someone say, that's a great idea. What you should do is, Unless, unless it's very, um, unless it really is adding onto your idea or enhancing it or making it a better version of the idea that it already is, what they're really doing is saying, mm, it actually should be this other thing. Right. <laughs> and that could be good. Like maybe they're leading you to yeah. a new truth. Like that could be. But if they're all leading you in different directions, um, it's not clear. And also, you know, people think they know what to do. They're like, oh, here's what you should do. Here's what a lot of people would buy. That's what people say. Yeah. But they don't know. Like they, they yeah. say that, like they know, but like, if they knew you wouldn't have to do customer validation, <laughs> <laughs> you would just know what people would buy. Like, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. People would buy. That's, you know? so, that's a, that's a good one. No, I mean, yeah, cause so, I, so you I, ha- when you hear yeah. that, you have to think you have to rearrange their words to mean, I think uh, I would like X <laughs> and even then sometimes I'll go, listen, I don't need this, but let me tell you what you should do. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> You don't know what other people want, and you're not even telling me what you want. You're telling me no useful information right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to like make that interpretation when you're talking. Yeah, I mean, I think that's good when it comes to customer discovery, you know, MVP type things where you're trying to like really formulate the kernel of an idea because you don't know. I mean, I, I I completely agree with you. I mean, there's some some folks that you know they scratch their own itch, quote unquote, and but it ne- will never become a business because people don't have the same feelings about it or to your point they're trying to change it into something that's not and and that's very good thing to remember if you're validating your ideas 
those those things you just mentioned. Oh, you should do it this way. Oh, I wouldn't buy it, but I know someone that would. Well, those are two negative correlations to you. Yeah, have a yeah, good this, idea. Is, this is not good. <laughs> you know? No, not, this is not um, good at I, all. So, so what what I would do specifically, um, which may help to to like, well, how do I how do I get at that stuff, or how do I you know how do I really validate it then if 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 I'll be led astray this way. Um, so I, so the very first time I did this, it was kind of like what I'm about to say, but again, since I did it multiple times, I refined the process a little. So here's a refined version. So you can start at the end. <laughs> um, so first, what are the goals of, uh, of these, of these questions? So like, um, are, uh, are you trying to build a small business, a big business, one where you can just run it yourself. You don't have to hire people because screw that. That's one of the reasons why you're doing this. You don't have to manage people um, or yeah, you want to make something huge or um, uh, you, you know, like, like, so, so it's just one example, but like, that's what I mean by what your goals are. What are you trying to get at? Um, then you'd say, okay, what things do I need to figure out about that? So like, I need to figure out if there's a market, I need to figure out what people say, like, when I say security, do they say security or did they say hacking hackers? Like what? So I'm trying to, fi- I need to figure out like what words people use to talk about this stuff. I need to figure out what kind of budget they have and whether they pay for this stuff. Now I need to figure out, um, do they agree there's a pain? <laughs> like I'm saying it, but do they go, Oh my God. Yeah. Or do they not? Um, and what else about their life? What, what is their life like? So as an example with WP engine, this is, uh, for people that don't know, we, we um, were the biggest platform for managed WordPress hosting, WordPress being the most popular uh, web page builder software. So people use us to, uh, they, they build websites and they use us to actually uh, make them live on the internet and, and operate. So I was talking to people making websites, so like agencies, freelancers, people that make websites. So I had these, so, so I had these goals like, oh, I, you know, I wonder if they'd buy this stuff that, that I need. So given that you say, all right, what, hypotheses do I have about what the world's like? And you actually write them down one per line in a Google spreadsheet or some spreadsheet. So like, uh, I think a freelancer makes 10 sites per year. I think they charge $5,000 per site, maybe 10. I think they have a, uh, they have trouble keeping track of all the usernames and passwords in all these different sites that they manage. I think they have trouble with that. They don't have tools, good tools for that. Um, I think they care about security and they worry all the time that their client sites will be hacked. I think they care about speed and just keep, you know, blah, 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 all these things that I think, right? Um, and real specific, like, don't just say um, they make some sites, like a number of sites per year or something, right? Like, like really specific. These are your hypotheses. Then in the next column in the, in the spreadsheet, you ask, what question could I ask that would test this hypothesis? But is open-ended and doesn't lead the witness so that if it's wrong, I can like find out what's right. And I'm not, I'm not like biasing the witness. So for example, if I say, if I think like a simple example is if I, if I think they do 10 sites a year, what I shouldn't ask is, so you do, you do, you do about 10 sites a year. <laughs> you know, um, I should just ask like how many sites do you do a year? Like that's a very simple one, right? Um, more complex one, maybe security. Here's a bad version. So, you know, the internet's full of bad people that are constantly trying to hack everything. So like, do you worry about that? Because <laughs> you know? I can say, no, I don't care. You know, like, yeah. What are you crazy? What are you a lunatic? Of course I care about that. Yeah. yeah. But instead you could say something like, what do you think about security or do you, do you ever think about security? Do you care? And just, just, that's it. Like, see what they say. Um, and if they say, yeah, I would care a lot. You're like, oh. What do you do about that? Do you like buy stuff? What What do you buy? What do you do? Like, you know, you sort of test it. Sometimes even try to do the negative of what you think. Like if I think they care about security and I wish they would because I want to sell them something that's secure, you know? So maybe I even try to bias them the other way. Hey, like you make little sites for little clients. They don't care about security, right? Like they're not going to get hacked. Now you and I know, yes, they will get hacked because hackers don't care what you are. They're just trying to find a thing yeah. that they can then 
that, that they can get into so that they can send email, so they can do click fraud, so they can bounce off and go to another server and hide where they're from. Like hackers don't even care what this is. They're just trying to do their thing. And yeah, you're they're using a, it as a resource. Yeah, like, you're a husk. You know, yeah. you're like one of those bugs that the fungus infects. <laughs> Walk around, you know, that's that, you are. I think you shared that somewhere. That scared the hell out of me. What yeah, isn't that cool? That, that was pretty cool. <laughs> so, so they don't care. That's the truth. But like, I don't want to lead the witness. I want to say, like, it doesn't matter, right? Now, if they turn around and go, yes, it does. And then they tell me that, I go, oh, goody. They really do understand that. Oh, goody. See, I'm testing for real. So open-ended, don't lead the witness, even lead them, lead them opposite if you want to lead. And, because then what you'll find, of course, is that half your hypotheses are incorrect. And even the ones that are correct directionally, like maybe you get better numbers. Oh, it turns out freelancers really do five to 10, five to 10 per year, you know, whatever. Um, um, or you find segments like, oh, okay, there's like this group of people and they do a lot of sites and they understand everything and they have lots of pain. And there's another group that blah, 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 blah. And, and this, this one or two dimensions lets me know which group they're in. And then all their answers are super consistent. So I found a segmentation in the market. I've discovered that. So you see, when, when you're when you're so clear with your hypotheses and when you're being really, let's say, introspective or honest with yourself about the answers, you can, you can quickly get to the right answers or segmentation or whatever the truth is out there, right? Now, again, I had this one idea where I couldn't even get to that truth. It was just still everywhere. It's like, oh my God, I can't, you know, it's not, all right, but with WP Engine, it, it was coming to like these same places. And so then, you know, you really got not just like I quote unquote validated the idea that people would pay more for better hosting, but these specific hypotheses about the world, what people's lives are like or what they care about, what they paid for, what they would pay for. So that's way more valuable. <laughs> you know, that's a very more specific kind of validation because now I know stuff like I can put stuff on the homepage or put stuff in Google ads. That's really specific. That actually targets my market, or I can think of better feature ideas that really does target the market. So now, obviously this isn't perfect. You can't find everything out by asking, you know, but to the extent that you can learn things by asking questions, comma, <laughs> that way I think is the best way to get at those truths. And then ultimately, of course, you have to build the thing, show the thing. They still might not buy you know, like in real life, it doesn't, they don't necessarily do what they said they would do. Right. So, so that's is true. That. That's but, true. But, yes. But, but like you could, you could certainly reject ideas that are definitely bad, which are most of them. I say bad, definitely not working businesses. Most of the ideas are not, and you could reject that before doing a lot of work. So that's super valuable. So then when you get a positive hit more or less, okay, it's still, there's still challenges to come. Right. But like, Okay, but I've uh, but I have a chance, and I have some more information that it's actionable in a spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, that I can use. Right, right, right. No, I think the discipline of that is where I think a lot of, I mean, even seasoned entrepreneurs, you know, the the predominant, you know, advice is right. Scratch your own itch. Okay, great. So I know a lot of people, especially if they're technical, that'll build these little, whatever apps or you know things they'll go off on on the quest and the quest will take them nowhere. And they will wonder, well, I just got to do another one or do another one or my MVP or my marketing or whatever. But I, I think a lot of it is just not proper idea validation. And to your point, which I, I agree with, not all ideas are good businesses, just like not all hobbies are good careers. Like you have to spend the time and effort and energy. And I'm just curious how, how, like you say, you know, now you, I think you've got a new role at WP Engine is chief innovation something or other or whatever. Is this same model, how you think about it, even at a company that's, I mean, aren't you guys like the biggest company in Texas or something or like, no, I know biggest company in Texas. We <laughs> well, I mean, hundred employees, yeah, which you're, is you're good, pretty like big. Dell's here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Most, I think you guys got the most venture capital in all of tech or something. There was yeah, some yeah, yeah. statistic, right? There, there was, there, we, we raised a big round uh, a few years ago and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, we were the largest round in Texas that yeah. year. Um, yeah. So we started bootstrapped, then raised a very small amount of money and then progressively more as, as we continue to have hyper growth and it made sense. Um, so it was always an amount of money that matched, you know, our revenue and growth trajectory. So it was like a sensible amount for what the company's doing. Um, but 
uh, yeah, started Bootstrap, which is maybe part of part of why it was successful because you know that way then you you know the unit economics have to be right. If it's bootstrap, oh yeah, right? you, you can't. That is not yeah. That's not funny VC money. That's like yeah yeah. This then then right. if that's true, if you really do have that kind of business, and then you apply money to grow, and again not too much. Original you know initial rounds were literally like one million. Then another round the next year was two million. You know like really. Uh, like uh, not crazy stuff, but just just enough to, to to be able to do things ahead of when you would normally be able to do them, right? Maybe run some experiments, even if they fail, because you have a little extra cash to do that with, you know, that kind of sensible stuff. And then, yeah, eventually a big round, but by then, you know, again, our revenue was commensurate with that. So yeah, again, it's still quite logical and, and, and sensible. And so, so how does then you know, now you're a big company, you're a bigger company, you know, you're an ongoing concern. How do you now shift or how do you keep that level of innovation and vigor and rigor, sorry, to have, to make these ideas, like figuring out the next big thing? Because I'm assuming the reason why they're like, hey, Jason, you need to go figure out the next, next thing, because that's the way it works. Like you had a great article about the elephant curve, about marketing, which I literally stole for stole. I borrowed as a great artist does to, to talk with some of the clients we have at decision council about like, yeah. well, why, why is my marketing stalled out? I go, well, yeah. you're on the downward slope of the elephant curve. And they're like, yeah. the hell yeah. is that? I go, well, let me show you, let me tell you. And it just made sense. Right. Cause yeah, of course yeah. it looks like an S curve and all that. But mm. so how do you instill this discipline, this, mm. I mean, almost ethos of, innovation, but doing the right kind of innovation. And then also realizing that some of them will fail, but you're going to have bad ideas. That's just the way it works. Yeah. Well, so a bigger company is different from a smaller company in a few key ways, which then changes how you think about innovation. Um, because in a small company, it's just like, we can't, we, we're trying not to die. That's what we're trying to do every day. And if it's really early, maybe we don't have uh, the, the proverbial product market fit, which is just a way of saying like, it isn't easy yet. <laughs> like it's still really hard scrabble to get customers. And, and it's just, we don't quite understand our business yet. Um, and again, that's not a, that's not like a bad thing. It's just a fact it goes through these cycle or it goes through these stages, you know? So it stands to reason that a company where you're that's way in your past, you've got, a, let's say a thousand people at the company. So there's a lot you could do. So the idea of like only do one thing, well, with a thousand people, it's not true that you can only do one thing. Like it might be true if you have two people or, uh, you know, just do the one product product. Well, at some point, one product won't continue growing as much as you'd like. And, uh, or may even become less relevant over time. We're 12 years old. Is all our technology and ideas just as relevant? Can't be like, right? like can't, but like for a new company, that's not, that's just cannot be a problem. Cause you're not old, but if you're older, like there's different problems. So one way you have, one thing you have to do is say, well, you have this, this juggernaut of a business to run and grow. And as you say, you can't take your eye off of new innovation, but that has to be balanced in some way. You're not a VC firm trying to spin off startups. Um, and also you want to leverage the, the the assets you have built. Again, as a brand new company, you don't have assets yet. You don't have a brand. You don't have a customer base you can sell to. You don't have a stable product. You don't have a lot of features. Um, you know, you don't have that stuff. But as a large company, you do. So if you were to do a brand new product as a large company, of course you need to leverage all those advantages you have. <laughs> that would be silly not to. Like that, that's kind of the point at that at that moment. So you're gonna think differently about what innovation even means. So it, stand, it just stands to reason you'd think differently about it and not because like, oh, big companies are dumb, so they can't innovate, but rather, no, all these things I just said are true and you want to deal with it. So you need different ideas. So um, there's a couple of ways to, 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 to think about it. A very common way is, is the three horizon model, which you may have heard of because it's so popular. Just a very simple, simplistic version. There's people who like write whole books and go nuts with it. And, and, and I guess, but to me, a very simple way of thinking of it is. There's stuff where you take the existing product and existing customers and you just make improvements, um, even that you might charge for some, you may not, it depends, you know, but it's like at that, when you're a big company, those are super low risk because you have so much data. Like we have almost 200,000 customers. We can see what they do. We, we can, we can survey them and get like really statistically significant answers. We have a UXR uh, team, meaning user experience research, which conducts like uh, studies and, and questionnaires and then collects that. And we look at like common 
we have tools that that like look at the transcripts and look for common things like you can be really sophisticated in collecting that data. It doesn't have to be the simplistic system I just said. It can be, but you also can take advantage of all this other stuff that you have, uh, uh, actual uses of the product and so on. So you should. You should avail yourself of that. And then you're, then you can be pretty confident, oh, if we do this feature, it'll probably work. Now, to your point, it won't always, or it won't in the amount that you think. And yeah, of course, right? But you're pretty sure that like this is a pretty good bet. It's not, you know, and uh, and so... That's that I think of as horizon one and the horizon idea being like you lift your eyes to the horizon, how far in the future you might say you're looking. So like you got to do that H1 horizon one stuff to just basic. You might say like, like um, not basic. That's not right. Um, low risk, um, you know, growth in the, in the company. The, the horizon two is new product, but same customers. So this is where, for example, like, oh, HubSpot added a, HubSpot was marketing tools, but then they added a CRM for sales, but they sell it to the same customers. So the idea there is to leverage this. So again, this is assuming you, you've, you've already at some scale, right? You, you say like, look, we've got the sales force and marketing and brand. And so we already, and existing customers and that whole engine, we can just, if we can put another product in there that makes sense for those same people then we can leverage all of that existing customers and the existing channels uh, to sell more. So if we have a brand new product that could generate a whole lot more revenue potentially than, you know, a little change to an existing product. So that's like horizon two, of course, higher risk. Maybe, maybe we won't be successful in going from marketing to sales. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a big shift. Like, yeah, it's kind of scary. Um, there's a neat little model to think about this, which Again, super simple, but but I think quite effective. Where you think about bu- uh, buckets of adjacency. So, in other words, you just think about these buckets of things which require skill and people and time to invest in to be good at: sales, marketing, support, um, product engineering, at least. And maybe there's more. This depends on the company. Like it doesn't really matter. Just think about buckets like that where it takes effort and skill and and whatever to build up an asset there. So then you could ask, all right, for some new product idea we have, for which of these buckets would you say it's a slam dunk? Sure, we'll need a little bit more like materials. Like we'll need need to make a slide for it, and you know we'll train the salespeople on what the right things to say are. But like basically, it's super easy retraining or you know training and stuff, and like we're good to go. Uh, um, or is it like, oh man, it's a difficult tech. They're not used to that. They may need other people to help them. We may need a specialized team, um, or, you know, in sales, like, Ooh, so sales going to get an X that's not adjacent. It's not a deal breaker. It doesn't mean we can't do it. Just like, oh, we'll have to invest a lot there for this to work. And then the same with brand, like, is it, is it, does it work with our brand or are we going to have to like retrain people what our brand means? Um, in engineering, are we going to have to, can we reuse 90% of the code like 37 signals did when they made all those other products that weren't that successful, but the good news is they could just reuse the code they have already. So it was adjacent from an engineering perspective, right? So, and so on. So, so you, you know, and this is just, you can even think of it as binary, like keep it real simple. And so you could say, well, look, if this adjacent idea we have, uh, there's just one or two of these seven buckets that we need to do. That's pretty good. It's fairly adjacent. We'll be able to leverage a lot. And we'll just have to be willing to invest in whatever those areas are. On the other hand, you have the product idea. It's like, oh my God, like five of these seven would need heavy work. You can still do it, but you're going to have to invest a lot. It's a high risk because man, that's a lot that has to go right for it to work, which isn't always bad. It's part of why littler companies don't work because so much has to go right. And that's <laughs> unlikely, <laughs> right? So you can, but you have, but you're taking a very high risk. So you better be sure there's a huge opportunity or I don't know, some reasons why you want to anyway. So I think that kind of a uh, simple framework was a way to think about Horizon 2 stuff. And then there's Horizon 3, which is the, the really future stuff. So there the idea is new market and new customers. But new market means like, oh, man, you can just throw that adjacency matrix away. The answer is probably it's not or it's very little. <laughs> you know. And what you're doing there is saying, like, maybe we do need a startup within the company or we do need to really strike out on something very new. It's probably still adjacent a little bit. <laughs> it's really not nothing at all, you know. But but your point here is not to be super adjacent. The point is to um, 
to ask how do we how are we still going to be relevant and winning in five years or more and we may have to invest in things that won't pay off next year won't pay off the year after that won't pay off the year after that but we have to do it anyway now we may not you know how much of your revenue can you or how much of your money your budget can you put into that well it might just be five or ten percent like you can't necessarily invest a ton in that but you probably shouldn't invest zero because <laughs> that's how you end up you know and so uh so that's that bucket so that's a way to think about innovation and at different kind of levels. Um, and there you could think of it as a startup, you know, it's, it's more about usage, not money, or it could, it grows more slowly or much higher risk. Half of them are going to fail. Like, you know, you have much, all that stuff sort of comes back and you're like, all right. Um, I will say that it's tough to do that though at a larger company because it is true that the mentality is generally, well, we don't like it when things fail and, you know, well, wait right. a minute, what about the revenue for next year? You know, and, and, right. and, and, and that is all correct for the main business. It's hard to separate that correct thinking, correct expectations, you know, for something that's there. So sometimes people create a whole nother business unit or other kind of like big chunk within the company to separate it in an attempt to, to do that. So there's different, you know, there's different things about that. And uh, this is a lot of what, um, if you read like Innovator's Dilemma or, or really my my more favorite of the two, which is Innovator's Solution, which is yep. a sequel, yep. which kind of says how to do it. <laughs> in other words, the first one describes it. The second one says how to do it. And there's a lot in there about this, actually, this topic and about some things to actually do. So there's a, there's some good prior art about that. But uh, um, that's, I guess, the caution there. So um, anyway, like, so so I think that's a little bit more complex to think about innovation, but I think um, I think it's it's accurate, an accurate way to, to 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 deal with this like existing business that needs to be that needs to continue to do well, and this kind of increasing risk, but also increasing uh, potential value and purpose um, as you go up the horizon chart. Yeah, do do you think that's the reason why companies buy other companies is that they don't have the discipline of H one, H two, H three, and they look at H three as we're just going to acquire it and make it happen because. I've seen being in big companies, the attitude of, to your point, no one wants to fail. Mm -hmm. That's not how you get promoted. You know, the, the, the true innovators are the ones that are like, that's a crazy idea. It'll probably fail. I'm in, let's go. Yeah. If you're, if you're on the corporate track, probably in, you're not the person that's going to be like, yeah, I failed four out of five times. They really think I'm awesome because that's not necessarily it's career limiting, I think, at a big company. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to do M and A. Um, it could be because H three is too hard, but this it's also that it takes a long time to evolve, even if for an H three project to work, even if um, even if it's exactly right, um, because it's like anything else. <laughs> you know, it takes takes years to evolve. If you can acquire and shortcut both the time frames so that you can have the benefits now and the risk because presumably it's been de-risked if it's already a going concern. I mean, that is worth so much. And uh, even if you took a raw economic view, it is worth a whole lot because you could just say, well, we were going to spend, I'm making this up now, $20 million making this thing. It would take five years to get to where this other company already is in terms of growth. And um, so just the, the time value of money, it's better now. You know, it's worth, it's worth more than that now. And let's say there's a 50% chance we we failed. It's probably worse than that, <laughs> you know, but let's just say, yeah, uh, all yeah, right, well, you're, being, you're, you're being healthy. <laughs> you're being yeah, uh, so you pay a generous. lot more just to, just to get, what would you pay to get rid of that risk? You know, another 20 million. So, and, and then you get to use it now. So in the next five years, instead of building it up, you just have it and grow from here and whatever other, I hate to use the word synergies because it's such a buzzword, but really like however it, it positively interacts or has a positive feedback with other things in the company, which presumably it does, you get those benefits over the next five years instead of waiting to get them. What's that worth? And so you start doing that. And it's like, you can easily justify that something we could, we quote unquote, could do ourselves, wink, wink, <laughs> you know, for 20 million, like we should buy it for 200 million. It's actually really easy to get there from a pure economic perspective. Um, and that, that, that explains why, like, why they buy a company for so much when they could just dot, dot, dot. And it's like, actually really logically, not again, it's not like, I mean, you're a big company, you're dumb. Like, no, that's actually quite 
smart <laughs> you know no 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 agree it's nothing I mean, to do with whether you could do it <laughs> you know? right right I, I i mean i like i like the way you frame it up that way because but part of the reason why it's startups quote unquote can crush big companies in a niche one is the focus two is they they're not distracted they've only got one thing they're not there's nothing really to prove i mean they you they you know the only thing to prove is you're not going to fail Whereas a big company, they've got ballast, right? Like if they don't meet earnings, like stuff goes wrong, right? There's <laughs> not cool, right? Yeah. And and I always, you know, I'd always have like young entrepreneurs say, well, you know, Google or Facebook will come in and just crush me. And I'm like, they're not focused on that. They're, they're worried about billion dollar opportunities. They're not worried about these five, $10 million opportunities. Now, eventually, if you can grow it into a hundred million dollar company, whatever, but you're, you know, if you're five years away, like they're not even worried about you. Like they're not, you're not there. You may be on their radar, but they're so far away. They've got so much ballast looking at what's my next billion dollar company that I need to build that, you know. Oh yeah. You, One you billion would be the floor. That'd be the yeah. floor. for yeah. 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 Right. I had, would have to be because they're looking at how do I, you know, how do I gain another, you know, 10% or 5%, whatever. That's like billions, yeah. right? You can't, you know, yeah. so it is interesting because, the it's it the the mindsets are totally different like as the evolution from startup to ongoing concern to growth big company um and the the loss of i wouldn't again like to your point like people think that big companies are dumb that they didn't get to where they are being dumb <laughs> it's just that now they're in a different spot like things yeah. are different it's a different game yeah, I mean to say stuff like, "Oh man, execs at Microsoft are probably dumb." Like, really? You really think they're dumb? Is that is that really the right characterization <laughs> for that? You know, I really doubt it. It's yeah, really my not. my guess is no. I mean, yeah. they may make other things, but like, yeah, they're worried them, about right? right, right. <laughs> they're not worried about like paying. They're not worried about oh, do we have to clean the office today? They're worried about <laughs> how do I grow another ten billion this year. Get the yeah. stock price up. That's a different. It, game. it doesn't mean that they're going to make the right decisions every time, no. et cetera, et cetera. But no. like dumb is probably the wrong adjective for that, right? There are other things though that you know feel dumb and are uh, in a certain sense wrong and a certain sense right. And it's part of what's 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 uh, um, difficult about a, about a bigger company. Um, and again, we're not a huge company. We're you might call mid-sized at a thousand, right? But um, one I think is, is, is interesting and actually is even true at a small company. It's just that it doesn't uh, rear its head quite as much, but even if you just have a few people, what I'm about to say is relevant. It's just not, maybe not as magnified. Right. Um, which is, I feel like, and this is something I want to analyze more and write about by the way, because I haven't yet, but I, there's this tension between op, uh, sub-optimizing for the individual or the individual team and what's best for the whole organization or department or some kind of like larger thing, the individual versus administration. And I say tension because it's not a balance. They're often in conflict and they both have a really good point to make. And that's, that's why it's a challenge because they're both right, you know, and, and in conflict a lot. So like mm -hmm. you could say, for example, even okay, let's say you have a team of just like three engineers and everyone uses a different IDE. To write code is that okay well it it does optimize for their individual productivity because presumably they're like i'm a whiz at this ide so i can go real fast and that's good um so maybe that's okay now on the other hand if everyone's formatting their code differently because that's what the id settings are <clears throat> that's weird and especially if you hit save and it reformats so like there's always weird crap in git and I, I it's hard to read it that's actually not good and it's it's really well understood um, theory in computer science that how you format your code, like the details of how you format it are not important, but that everyone formats it identically is important for readability. And there's a lot of interesting studies, by the way, about that. Um, so it's like the details is whatever is style, but the fact that we all do it the same way aids in readability and we should do that and not have this not nonsense everywhere. So you would say, yeah, but I... I like this style better. So what would be optimal for me personally is X. Yes, but the team is better if we all do Y. And so we're all going to do Y, even though it's not as good for you personally. So there's this tension between what's good for what optimizes the whole team or the organization versus what does an individual feel is optimal for their uh, execution speed or happiness or, you know, something like that. Right. 
and they're often in conflict. Now, sometimes for something like that, you go, oh, well, I can, you know, as long as I hit, hit save in auto formats, I guess I don't care. And all right, <laughs> you know, but some things can get really frustrating. Oh, I can't use this email client because security says they can't, you know, they haven't looked at it. So I just can't use my favorite email client. That is a pretty big annoyance. But it kind of makes sense that if the whole place is going to be secure and, and there's like email everywhere and email has tons of sensitive stuff, like then, I mean, it's logical. But it's also logical to say, yeah, but I use X and I'm super efficient and now I'm not and I hate you and I can't use it on my phone. And, you know, and they're kind of right. Like, we don't want people wasting their time doing email if they can help it. Like, that's a huge waste of time. They're all right is the problem. So that tension, it, you know, where, how do you resolve when is the good of the whole <laughs> for administration, consistency, security, People being able to change teams and, and the tools are pretty much the same, so they can do that. Uh, training new people um, uh, and just uh, overall visibility; They're, those are all valuable, <laughs> you know. And for the individual, it's not. So, you know, it even ties back to what we were just saying. So, if I'm in an H3 project that's supposed to be like a startup, but my company has these company-wide mandates, again, those are very, very likely to be in conflict because the company-wide mandates are are designed for this at scale stable thing. And rightly so, that's probably good, you know? Yeah, so yeah, you don't like, want- Oh, the big company. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, the big company has all these rules, but we're a startup, we don't have rules. It's like, <laughs> they're dumb because they have these stupid rules. That are, that uh, like, no, 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 you know, rules like, are there for a reason. <laughs> they may be there for a reason. And, and, but maybe you're right. Maybe some of them are an overreach. It's too much admin and not enough individual productivity, you know? And maybe each team should standardize within the team, but not between teams because the teams are uh, so different. Teams can be so different that trying to make them standardize would be bad. But maybe within one team, they have standards because then it would be really chaotic. You know, so like, what is the right, you know, which things should be standardized or not at what levels, what's smart? And it's totally unclear what the answer is, right? Like, it's not easy, but that's a No, no, you're totally right. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm I'm at this company called Decision Council. We're 15 to 20 people, you know, spread around the country. But, you know, we have an office in Berkeley, California. And we do, we deal with a lot of clients. So we do uh, B2B, go-to-market revenue growth, you know, we're, we're the, we're the, we're the firm you come to when you've bought a basket of companies and you're trying to rationalize and figure out how to go to market. Like that's our, st- I mean, among other things, but that's what we're really good at. Right. But every single one of our clients uses a different tool set. <laughs> one will use Google, one will use teams and right. And so, you know, we're a Google house and trying to sort that it's like without fail every day, someone some client can't get into Google because they're on Teams or <laughs> whatever, right? right? And and it's this is friction, and the friction wastes time and energy and oh, effort. Yeah. But then, the, to your point, it's like, well, like we're interfacing to a different world. So, do we? What do we standardize on? And we actually have to be adapted all these tools, which is completely inefficient, right? But it's what the client is used to. Therefore, we have to adjust ourselves. And I think it's yeah, similar. You external external requirements. So of course, yeah. you have to do it. Yeah. But it also just goes to show, yeah, that's why that would be really dumb if you did that on purpose. <laughs> you know, just yeah. because people were whinging, I like to use this. It's like, yeah, no, we've been there. That's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. That, you know? right, 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 right. And, and it, it's, it's just fascinating because it's even at a small scale, like you said, three, five people, yeah. there are certain things that the good of the whole should trump the good of the individual. Now, mm-hmm. what that calculus is, what's the heuristic, how you sort that out. But yeah, please write more about that. <laughs> or write yeah. something about it. In I fact, think if you- I th- there's probably some things to say about it, but but like many things, there is a, the generic advice, which is um, if you name that problem or that conflict, mm-hmm. right? And that, so that when it arises, you go, oh, it's one of those. It's one of these thingies. Okay, which way do we want to resolve this one? Okay, so maybe that that's not giving any advice about which way to resolve, but like just the fact that you can say, oh, pause, that's what's going on here. Okay, is this one of those things where it's best for the organization, best individual? And even if you have to work each one out uh, uniquely <laughs> because there's no other advice, hey, that's actually still an improvement rather than just like, 
people complain forever about decision X, you know, <laughs> instead oh, of just saying, no, no, Can't... no, that's one of the ones where we rounded off this way and here's why. Yeah. So let's just move on. You know, that, that is a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, every engineer on the planet. <laughs> Bitch moan, bitch moan yeah, about and, and whatever. It's, you know? it's okay, like because <laughs> I get the, it. I get the, it. The root of it is they're not wrong, right? In their own, in a certain sphere. Yeah. But of course, as as a hopefully as a team member, you could think this way. But certainly as a leader of the organization, you must think this way. Of like, yes, but there's also the whole org, and and then yes, they're in conflict, but we have to you know try to resolve that. Um, the sort of ultimate example of something that it is organization wide is company culture. It's a yeah. de- definitionally, it has to be like, nope, yeah. this is the way. And, you know, and so yeah. like, there's no doubt that there's like um, things that no matter what, it would always be on the organization. And you could probably argue there's some things similarly for the individual and every, unfortunately, the gray area is like 97% of it. So it's like, oh, that is a hundred percent true. Yeah. <laughs> Especially even between organizations and functional groups. And I mean, just just people think differently. It's a different skill set. They you know they self-select into engineering and not marketing for a reason. There's a reason why, and or creative, or I always yeah, it's always at these boundaries. Like everything yeah. is always like the corner case at the boundary of the interface is where things break down. And yeah, it's um. There's also really tough ones like um, like comp, like salary and other benefits where when you're small, you have this idea of like, oh, we have this opportunistic hire. We should just do it. And you're probably right. So, okay. (laughs) Now at scale, you start thinking, well, you could start thinking about this anytime, but in particular at scale, you start thinking about things like equal pay and equal access. So yeah, that's fine saying all that, but what if that means we're not paying people as best as we can paying people the same you know, amount for the same skill set, same work, et cetera. You know, of course that that's, that's all difficult to nail down exactly. But like, if we're just like making whatever offers we want, because we feel like it, we're almost for sure. Not, not like conforming to any notion of equal pay or some kind of thing. Whereas another example, let's say two people at the company and they're, and one of them can ask for a raise every quarter and is usually told no, but sometimes yes, because there's a squeaky wheel. And the other one just assumes that if they do good work, they'll be recognized and get a raise. And so they don't ask. It's just their personality. Yeah. And so you give one a raise and the other one not, even if let's just assume they're quote unquote equal in, in all ways. That would be unfair. Just yeah. like this personality trait of, of begging. Like that's not, that that would be an unfair way to, to dole out compensation. So those are just two examples of like, oh yeah, you're right. Like that, that would be, we don't want that. We don't want like, if you ask a lot, you get a raise. And if you don't, you don't. That, that, that does not sound like a good, way to do the good comp, you know, policy. (laughs) But so then you go, okay, we're going to need some kind of policy, some sort of consistent way of doing it. Let's look at it twice a year or whatever is fast enough to do things for people that deserve it, but, but not so often that we're constantly, um, you know, distracted by it. Maybe twice a year is a good number, for example. And so, so like the perfect example of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That should not be like managers randomly do comp like that. That can't be right. (laughs) But, um, but when you're small, like it, it maybe it is right because you're just trying to again not. Well, die. you're so yeah, you're, okay. But like, it, 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 yeah. it, so when companies have this rigid comp, and you're like, oh, they're so dumb because they wouldn't, you know, X. It's like, is it dumb because the every reason I just gave is not dumb. <laughs> it's pretty good. No, no, and 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 what's interesting is that there's this is the same argument that tech people have about government. So I always like try because I'm I'm actually on the library commission here in San Francisco. And so I see a lot of the bureaucracy and, mm. and I, and people are always like, you can make it more efficient with technology. It's so stupid that there's all these friction points, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a good reason there's friction in a system. So most people, most SaaS startups, whatever, they want to reduce friction. Well, some people really don't think about when do you add friction? Like mm-hmm. what is the fric- points where friction is actually a good thing? Mm-hmm. And in government, as an example, friction is a good thing because government's about fairness, not about efficiency. If it was about efficiency, we wouldn't have roads. You wouldn't have health. You wouldn't have any of that because that's not efficient. It's about fairness. It's mm. the. It's. I always think of it as government needs to build the level playing field in which everyone can participate, and mm. their job is the corner cases and literally to make this as fair as they can. That is not efficient. Fairness is not efficient. Right. 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 And I think to your point about or big organizations is, and I like this because the way I think about it now is. 
where do we need to add friction to make it fair? And where do we reduce friction to, to make it more efficient? Because efficiency is not the goal necessarily. Because if it was, nothing would be fair. I mean, mm. just not, I mean, you know, you have the libertarians just let the world run wild. No, 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 no. That's, it would not work that way. So it's fascinating. I mean, this is such a, well, maybe I'll steal that. See, I haven't read that. Maybe that. Maybe they'll be. be there you go. We'll steal from each other. That's, Absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, uh, uh, full full disclosure. I, uh, you inspire a lot of my thinking because I like the way you think through, and not. I mean, of course, you've got passion, and you know, you know, like you know what you're doing. But the thought process is valuable. The I didn't think it. I always say I didn't think of it that. When I read you, I'm like, I didn't think of it that way. I need to think of it different because again, my job, I mean, our job, right? We're, we're seasoned entrepreneurs for lack of a better word. Like, you know, you're a little ahead or, or whatever, been more, whatever the success metrics are, right? But we're the ones that should have the experience to be like, I need to think deeper about this. I, I, I'm, my job is not to just like go make some stupid shit. I'm supposed to give back. I mean, at least the way I think about it, I'm supposed to give back to this community and be like, do smarter things than I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, writing, I mean, this is not news, but writing is a good way to find out, uh, you, know, you know, get those thoughts out. And 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 what, what I sometimes like to say is writing is a good way to find out what you think. And half the time when you do that, you realize, oh, I don't know if I like that though. <laughs> like, or maybe I'm not, maybe I don't know what I think after all. Well, okay. Or, so now yeah. writing helps you go, well, shoot, uh, maybe I, don't know and I'll leave it at that or maybe I want to know or I want to work it out and so okay it, yeah. it helps you you know it kind of prompts you to do that then you can yeah. encode it somehow and now you've thought it through yeah. so so just write even if it's a journal you know um yeah. can help that and and uh, I think it's part of why people recommend writing even again if it's private uh, whatever yeah. um because it does help help those juices flow it's sort of like how you know some people like meditation in part because in because you've it's almost like you're now practiced in that state so that you can sort of immediately get into like let's just say a calmer state or a more observing state so whether or not you buy into all the other stuff like you do get practice in this certain state and that can be useful um and you can believe that without believing anything else about it if you want you know because well, it's, it's true it's yeah. kind of obviously true if you try it yeah so writing is the same like you know, maybe it just helps you get into the state where you're thinking or thinking about what you're thinking, being analytical, et cetera, being able to communicate. And so, yeah, that's probably a good practice. Yeah. I usually, that's the only way I can make sense of the world. And, and, and I also like the idea of pressure testing ideas, you know, like in a vacuum, like, is this a good idea? Like the other time I wrote, I wrote a piece and I shared it with you on Twitter and I had this one thing, it was about leadership and it was the, um, uh, was it first to blame, last to fame, or something, or something like? Oh yeah, you're, you're yeah. never you're never responsible, yeah. and 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 you push back. You're like, you know, I agree with most of what you said. But this one, uh, I don't know. And then like, oh, I thought about it. Then I came up with first to blame, last to fame, because I think in in the you know the the discussion of idea and the pressure test of it, we we generally came to the conclusion, yeah, yeah, that's probably right, or at least most yeah. of the time. Not this extreme of you're never you you never get any credit. It's always your fault, and you're kind of like jarring. That's a bit extreme, <laughs> right? Every problem is only your fault, and every success is never you're you're, right. you're not involved. It seems like, like a yeah, <laughs> seems like a bad way to go, you know. But I never would have known because again, I didn't. I had, was thinking about that because some people were asking me about leadership, and I was really trying to figure out how to be more compassionate more empathetic, but, but like have the right attitude about it. Like, no, your job is not about you. It's about building this organization and making other amplifying other people and playing with those ideas, Yeah, you know, is makes them better. So, which is true. Like, you know, if you're not a manager, then you have a job. And if it's your man, if you are a manager, your job is to make a team that does the thing instead right. of you doing the thing, which is why you always have to slap the wrist of engineering managers who want to write code too much. A little uh, bit just to keep in the in in guilty you know, as swing of things. Like I, I do think that's that's okay. But like in general, they just want to sort of be in still write all the same amount of code and also tell the people what to do. And it's like that's not that's not the job. <laughs> you know? No, 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 no. But yeah, so. I think uh because if if the job is to create a team which does it and then the team does, 
so you don't get any credit for that you know it's like yeah well, yeah yeah no, i was right, being right, a, yeah, i was being a bit extreme um, i changed I, it i changed it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think um but i mean i agree with you that, that there is that problem of the person who does take the credit for the, the whole work of the team and so to the extent that it pushes back on that and says bullshit um that's good <laughs> you know that's 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 really healthy um but you know, the truth is it's everybody, it is the leader and it's the people. And so that's probably the right way to say it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, sure. including when things go wrong, it's, it's like, then again, as a leader, it's, it's like, uh, all right, we made the wrong decision or we did the wrong thing. I'm part of that. I, I helped make this decision. Like, you know, I was wrong too. So we were all wrong. And now what are we going to do? And again, you don't have to say that the team was not involved and you just say, look, we did this we all did it and now we're going to do something about that or we we're all successful look what we did and you know that's just what it is <laughs> no it's great jason been too long man this has been such an awesome interview i really appreciate your candor your intellectual rigor um love everyone should follow you on twitter it's a smart bear like fantastic stuff um good luck with your new role at wp engine just yeah just such a fan and really just an honor to talk with you and just love loved the intellectual i won't say combat because we're not combative but like the intellectual <laughs> stimulation is just inspiring so thanks for your time man really thank really you this is fun thanks uh thanks so much jason for being on the show it's uh wow it's been such a long time i looked back and it looks like the last time we chatted was in 2016 wow for the book the entrepreneur ethos now it comes full circle so as promised here are some actionable insights that i learned from my awesome awesome interview with jason to validate your idea jason suggests using a spreadsheet and writing down your hypothesis about who your customer is and what their pain points are then ask open-ended questions as to not bias them to test your hypothesis and um yeah i mean Wow, I think the thing that was really kind of striking to me was actually asking the negative of the question. Like, ah, do you really need this? Do you really I don't I don't think you really need this and then see what happens. So you're actually biasing them the opposite way to really see if this is a huge need. And I think this is a good good way to go because a lot of times you can kind of get in your own head. And if you do scratch your own itch, which is fine, you could bias yourself. So I would ask questions when you do this um, sort of exercise as to, you know, what are the what are the real questions behind the question? You know, what should I ask and how should I not be biased in that? Maybe ask a negative question. Hey, do you really need this? I don't think you do. Or, you know, really try to prompt to so that you don't have that um, bias because you don't really want to uh, build something that no one wants. Understand the different challenges of a startup versus a successful growing company. A startup is still struggling to make a viable business and needs to have one focus. While a business that has already achieved some success needs to look at a more diverse long-term growth strategies. Bigger co companies also need to weigh the long-term cost of developing their own ideas versus acquiring another company that has already offers a similar product or service. So yeah, I mean, going through the whole uh, make versus buy analysis, I think was really great because you start to really realize that you're like, oh boy, buying companies for... $50, $100 million is actually cheaper <laughs> than having to develop it yourself. So I really think, you know, if you are in that situation, definitely ask yourself the questions, how long is it going to take? What's the opportunity cost? Um, am I, can I even build this? And if I do build it, is it really the probability that it's going to get done in this amount of time or that amount of time? Because Again, the opportunity cost and the power of compounding, if you can get that revenue now, I mean, of course, if you have the resources to buy it, um, wow, that's just really powerful. Jason finds that writing is a way that helps him to think through his ideas. In writing out his ideas, he comes to see if they make sense or not and is able to build on them. Regularly writing out ideas, even in a journal, can help you get clear on your thinking. And I 100% agree with this. I mean, I write to understand the world. And I think anyone that wants to kind of develop a better, clearer thinking process should write their ideas down. And you should definitely follow Jason um, and his blog, A Smart Bear. I mean, it's just A plus when it comes to thought process. He also does a lot of good stuff on LinkedIn. So if you are struggling uh, to learn how to write or want to write more or not sure how to start, I mean, just write. <laughs> sounds silly. But I think... 
just putting your ideas on paper gets them out of your head because a lot of times they rattle around in your head. And when you put them on the tangible form, word processor, physically writing it down in a notebook, it does help you process that. So if you are stuck or struggling or trying to figure out how to innovate or, or what have you, you know, ask yourself the questions and maybe even write this down, you know, like what are the problem I'm trying to solve? Um, how can this problem be solved? Uh, what are the limitations that I'm putting on myself? Just ask yourself questions and then answer them in a journal. Seems a little weird, but I've done that a couple of times when I've really been stuck and it seems to work pretty well, at least for me. So there you have it. The actionable insights that I learned from my exceptionally awesome interview with Jason. Can't tell you how what a thrill that was. Um, so thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.